Welcome to Family Features, a podcast for anyone who wants to experience healthy relationships within their family. This is Dr. Corey Gilbert, and I'm honored to come alongside you to encourage, educate, and equip you as we focus on the different relationships that make us family. Let's get started and focus on today's feature. All right, welcome to the Family Features Podcast. My name is Dr. Corey Gilbert, and today I'm, I'm having a great conversation with Danielle Burnock. Welcome. Thank you, Corey, for having me on your show. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Um, you have been through a lot, ugh, and you have survived a lot, and you have so much, I believe, to give those that are listening um, to bless people. So looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. I'm, I'm excited, too. Yeah. Well, tell us a little about, a bit about yourself, your story, kind of that 30,000-foot view of kind of what's brought you to today. 30,000 foot view. Hi, <laughs> Pauling. <laughs> uh, what's brought me to today? I am a survivor of multiple childhood traumas that mm. I dismissed for a long time because I compared them to tsunamis, plane crashes, Sandy Hook murders, you know, things like oh. that. Mm-hmm. So what I went through, I didn't think was a thing. I was raised by authoritarian parents. Mm-hmm. And so it was uh, just suck it up, get over it and smash it all down. My parents were both um, survivors of trauma themselves mm-hmm. and childhood emotional neglect. That's something that I've learned that term in the last few years. Yes. And my parents were emotionally neglected as well. So they didn't have to give me what I needed. Right. I, they were not trying to hurt me. They, they did not, they were not malicious or anything like that. Many people who suffer with childhood emotional neglect have a hard time owning that because they feel like they're throwing their parents under the bus. I felt that way. Yes. But that's, that's not it. How I've got to here was because of my drive, I call it a warrior mindset that I had to heal because I just couldn't stand the misery. Mm-hmm. I fought to get free. And when I released my first book, I found it resonated with people, especially one particular quote in there, which I find all over the internet. It's been translated into other languages. Whoa. People have put it in their books. It's in their brochures. I, I mean, I find it all the time. And this spurred me on to, I have to, I, I can't keep this to myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, publishing my book was enough, I thought, but I wasn't sure where it was going to go. I felt God lead me to do that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things in there that which one was nobody knew Uh, emerging with wings, true story of lies, pain, and the love that heals. It's my personal story of becoming free from childhood trauma and finding my value. When I sat down to write it, I only knew the first eight chapters and that's all I would have written, but I put myself into counseling Mm. to write the book, which was very wise. (laughs) And I learned so much more about myself. I learned to own the trauma. I learned about childhood emotional neglect, even though my counselor didn't know that term, but she still identified it through the side effects, which is how you identify it because it's something that's missing. You can't see something that's missing. (laughs) Correct. So, The second half of that book, eight more chapters I learned while in counseling and writing the book. At what stage of life was that? I was 54 years old when I sat down to start writing the book. I published it when I was 55. Mm -hmm. 
So releasing it, I self-published it. I self-published it on purpose because during that time frame, traditional publishing, what I found out at that time, which it's a lot different now, even though it wasn't that long ago, so a lot has changed. Last two years, a lot has changed. Yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but they would buy uh, traditionally publishing would they would buy your story, right? And then you know if they were going to publish it, well, the problem with that is then they own your story, correct? And I can't republish it. I can't change it. They, I'm like, no, this is my story. <laughs> so I self-published it and learned everything about all that, which was so much to learn yeah, for sure. And when I released it, I felt like I had stripped off all my clothes and ran around the world naked yes. because of sharing all those things that I had just learned about myself. So when that resonation came with the quote and people responding to my book, and it's like, I had to get out there more. And it's like, it, it took some work, which is that's in my other book, because you matter sharing that story mm -hmm. of how I got from I emerge with the wings, but just like a monarch butterfly or other butterflies, they emerge, their wings are wet and they can't fly. Oh, yes. And oh, I emerged, but I couldn't fly really. I mean, I was free in so many ways. Right. I, my wings had to dry, <laughs> among other things. So what was the quote? That's brought me to today. So pardon? what was the quote? The quote is, trauma is personal. It does not disappear if it is ignored or invalidated. I have to read it. When I get put on the spot, a lot of times that happens. <laughs> I do that. That's quite common. Trauma is personal. When it, do it does not disappear if it is not validated. When it is ignored or invalidated, the silent screams continue, internally heard only by the one held captive. When someone enters the pain and hears the screams, healing can begin. Love that. So important. So true. So true. Right. And I had to learn that when I wrote that, it was an epiphany <clears throat> to me because I had to enter my pain. I had to own it being trauma. I had to validate, have to call it what it is. And many exactly. people don't want to do that. So I had a difficult and it was challenging. Well, it wasn't that bad. I, it was normal. Yeah. <laughs> and then they'll start talking about all this stuff like I did to my counselor. Mm -hmm. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> She said, something went terribly wrong. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but it's normal to us. It's all we know. Exactly. You, know, you grow up with what is normal to you. A child has no idea. They just know what their life was. And it was normal to them. So, yeah, man. And then they start interacting. When they start interacting with the world and seeing that it's not normal, but not always making that connection. Mm -hmm. That's what's so wild to me is, you know, 10, 20 years later at times, not making that connection to wait a minute that really wasn't normal it's this attempt to cut it out to ignore it so it is like your quote entering in because inside you know there's something wrong yeah. yeah so it sounds like you've gone on a really difficult journey and uh, and now you're um, married and grandkids kids obviously then too and you have a yeah. lot in your life a very full life as well mm-hmm so that doesn't seem possible. How can you go from that to such a full, beautiful life? Because God's good. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. <laughs> my husband is part of my healing. He has a whole chapter in my book, Emerging with Wings. Oh, I love that. God brought us together in a very 
supernatural way. I only know two other people that were brought together that way. We didn't like go out and fall in love and we don't have one of those kind of normal stories. Yeah. But we were supernaturally paired. We, I'll call it started going out, but we went to a Bible study kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The first time it was August 6th and September 1st, we got engaged. <laughs> wow. I love that. <laughs> But I broke up over one weekend because of trauma reactions, trauma mm-hmm. responses and fear. But we just knew, mm-hmm. even though um, when we told his parents we were getting married, they're like, well, do you love each other? <laughs> we looked at each other and went, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> so very much a I head mean, thing, not an emotional thing. Well, it was God was doing it. Yeah, and love that. my whole journey of emerging with wings, it gives all, all the stuff in there, but like even the story of how God put us together, but we've been together for 42 years. Oh, so it stuck. Yeah. 42 years, 42 years. We've been married. And my husband is the person where I encountered unconditional love mm-hmm. for the first time. Yeah. I didn't know what that was. I know people who I have helped, who didn't know what unconditional love was. They didn't believe it even existed. I remember one particular person helping them to own that. Wow. Because they saw it with their children. So then, then they, oh, then if it exists, then maybe God could actually love me that way. And I didn't believe God loved me for the longest time. I have a little book called Love's Manifesto in there. I confess it took 34 years of you know, following God and going to church and doing all that stuff before I actually really believed mm-hmm. that he loved me. I knew it said that I wanted to believe that I'd been told that, right. but I had trauma in my life at church where I was publicly rejected from membership in front of the entire church as a child. Ooh. And the Lord took me through what happened in my soul. He showed me what happened in my soul mm-hmm. through my healing process. And then later, just a couple of years ago, I have a, had a business mentor at that time. And she also dealt with trauma Mm -hmm. and she suggested asking God where he was at during a particular trauma. Not like, where were you? Like he wasn't there, but believing that he was Mm -hmm. and asking him Mm -hmm. where, where were you? And I did that. And I didn't expect to answer right away. That's not how me and God generally communicate when he answers me right away. It kind of freaks me out, <laughs> <laughs> but he answered me later by giving me a, a vision, a spiritual vision. He showed me, he took me to that place and showed me where he was at that time. And it was just so amazing how he, he healed all of that. And, and that's something that he can do, but someone has to want it. Like I said, I had that warrior mindset because if you stay in the dismissal of it, you won't ever get rid of it. And it you actually had get... to, you had to actually ask mm-hmm. that question. That's a hard exactly. question to ask. So that was yeah. really neat to be kind of prompted to ask that question. That's yeah. not a normal, even counseling question because we tend to make right. it all psychobabble and all the <laughs> other stuff. So love that. That's beautiful. Now, yeah. what was my counselor that really helped me? I had gone for Christian counseling mm-hmm. earlier in my marriage and that, did some harm. It it, it, it added more harm to my life than it did helping me. So when I went back to going to counseling to write my book, I wanted a psychologist. I didn't want Mm -hmm. to go to a Christian counselor. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't want them to be anti-Christian, but, you know, cause I'm a Christian, but I wanted someone who right. knew about the brain, someone who knew about the yes. mind. I wanted all that psychology stuff. And that's something that the church really needs and something I'm working on bringing into the church where I'm going to, where I go and other churches, I'm looking for ways to get in there. Cause I've created workshops yep. to help people to heal different aspects of their life by bringing together faith and, you know, trauma-informedness. Yeah. And that's my whole life and heart. My whole adult life has been about exactly that is the church should be at the front line of serving those that have trauma and leading towards healing. If a non-Christian, secular, um, anti-Christian even person can bring a person out of being traumatized to transformation and growth and and wholeness without the Bible, (laughs) golly, what in the world are we doing? Like, if they can do that, we're missing something. And so, yes, I love what you're doing. I think from what I've even looked at your website, and what you've got, um, we need to have that in the churches. We need that trauma-informed, but biblically founded hope and tools. And the sad thing about what you said about the Christian counselor is most counselors, period, Christian or not, have zero training in trauma stuff, zero training in even human sexuality stuff, they, they're not prepared for these certain areas. And so yeah. finding someone that is, is crucial. I was looking for a trauma-focused psychologist, mm-hmm. but I went through yep. three before I got to her. Yeah, and she wasn't, she wasn't trauma-focused, but she came but you recommended. Clicked. And you clicked she, with her, it sounds like. Well, I was, I was going to give up and not okay. go to a counselor because I went through three, a couple wow. before that. I almost gave up, but then she happened to call me and I had a meltdown with her on the telephone. Oh, and did that, like, how, how did that she, make it so that you ended that's up what connected her. us? Okay. Yes. Because yeah. she, she responded to me in a good way. She was, she became safe. Yeah. yeah. She became safe immediately. Plus she didn't make me fill that. out 27 pages of information. Some counselors, they want you to fill it all out. I'm like, well, I'm telling you everything. I have to go through all the, and it's like, oh no, we just yeah. went. And we just talked. We just jumped in the middle and started. Nice. Instead That's of nice. writing out every single one of all my traumas. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's so important. That's important for people to hear that are in practice or working with people is a lot of the procedures that we could also sometimes follow actually hinders um, the, the chance for someone to really reach out versus as you see, it seems like it happened. You jump on a call even mm-hmm. and you either click or you don't. You either um, kind of fit with that person or don't. And you've tried multiple people. You didn't just stick with someone because that was your first choice. You were looking, I went to one, I went to her a couple of times, but then I went to my appointment Uh and I, you know, waiting in the waiting room and it's past my time. And I knocked on the door and didn't answer and knocked on the door, didn't answer. And it's like, it's like 15, 20 minutes after. So I left. And then she called me as soon as I got to my car. And I said, I was in the waiting room waiting. And she's like, and she called me a liar. Oh, I'm wow. like, I'm so done. I'm not going back yeah. here. You are not safe. <laughs> no, gosh. It's just, it's amazing how uninformed some people can be. Right. <laughs> so true. Well, if you and think one of, of the like... things with that, the Christian counselor mm-hmm. that brought me more harm. It wasn't even along the line of trauma. It was along the line of his doctrine. Ah, yeah. He, mm-hmm. it, it, he actually hit my, some of my traumas, like pounding another nail in the trauma oh. on the same thing. 
because people grow up with a misunderstanding of the gospel because of how churches portray it. Correct. So true. The Bible says it's by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you don't earn it. Nope. Not at all. Not one ounce. The trauma that happened in my growing up and the type of church I went to as a child, there are many denominations and churches out there that do push the earning thing. Yes, they, they don't do. package it that way. But they do. But, it's what they you know, push. if you, you know, if you sin and you didn't pray and ask God to forgive you and you die, you're going to hell. Yeah. Or if you, you know, you get saved, but then you act in this way, then you're going to hell. And all these other ways that you're going to go to hell after you supposedly get saved. Yeah. And nope. he, he kind of hit on that. He basically told me that, you know, it was all my fault. It was why I was there. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, makes my skin crawl. Oh, it makes my skin crawl. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Theology God loves you. That's my message. God loves you, period. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? It's up yeah. to you. And you That's... literally have to kind of just nod in his direction. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there is no changing at that point yet. There's no, yeah. I need to stop smoking. I need to stop drinking. I need to stop this. I need... no, it's, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, you have to happen. know you're loved. Love mm-hmm. the knowing you're loved is the most important need for yep. every human being. We were created in the image and likeness of God who is love. It mm-hmm. makes sense that that is our greatest need. This is how yeah. in 2020 I became, I started calling myself and it just stuck as that lady <laughs> on the internet who loves you Yes. right before the pandemic turned into the shutdown because I, I don't know, it just started to come out yeah. of me because love is our most important need and people need to know they're loved. Mm-hmm. And I found this graphic that I shared because some people push back. How can you love me? You don't know me. I have this graphic. People can hate you for no reason. How come I can't love you for no reason? I love people because I learned that I'm loved. And so I can be a conduit of that now. It took me, like I said, 34 years for God to convince me that he loves me because we need to know we're loved when we're not good. When we're bad, Correct. when we screw up, when we fall down, when we're at our worst, that's when we yeah. need to know we're loved, not when we're doing everything right. That's right. easy to believe it then. Mm-hmm. I know. I think of all the people at church every Sunday, and I think about this often when I'm sitting in church, when I'm probably dissociating, but <laughs> I look around and I just think of how many are sitting there and don't believe that. And they've been there every Sunday. They've been there faithfully, but they're in that space you were in. Well, you're there, you're hearing, you know, but you don't know. There's something missing in that heart of hearts of, oh, yeah, I am loved. Wait a minute. And now transformation can start, even though you've heard it for years and years and years and years. How many are sitting next to us down the, you know, down the row from us, mm-hmm. sitting in a Bible study with us that know but don't know? And we actually can't see the difference in that moment. We well, probably can in their life. We can, but sometimes we can't even in their life. Their life seems all put together and all oh yeah, they're dead inside or they're lost or screaming as your quote. There's, there's right. a cry inside. That trauma is an epidemic that people deny. Yep. It's an epidemic. It affects, I would say, everyone on the planet. I am a believer that everyone is born traumatized because we were created in the image and likeness of God. We were created for relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Then the fall happened. That's traumatic. Yep. 
I call that the original trauma. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I, I believe we're all born traumatized because we're born with this kind of separation. You know, I don't know where I'm not going to get in all the age of accountability and all that kind of jazz. I, right. I believe right. God is good and he can handle wherever those lines are. So right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. Not drawn lines. I was very scared of all that when I had my kids. Oh my goodness. I need to make sure they say the sinner's prayer by a certain age. Right. That's not the way to raise kids. <laughs> yep. I mean, even that I have kids was a miracle because I wasn't supposed to be able to have children. My husband wasn't supposed to be able to have children. Neither one of us mm-hmm. wanted children because we'd done drugs. I was traumatized. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to screw up another person. Right. So I'm like, we agreed. We're not going to have kids. Then God spoke. so put it in my heart and i just you know those ways where you just know that he put it there Mm because i know i didn't put it there exactly (laughs) (laughs) so we sat down and we prayed and he gave us the first names for both of our children nathan and naomi before they were even conceived oh that's neat and we had a boy and a girl and we named them nathan and naomi and god gave me the grace to give them their middle names and both of them have middle names that mean grace. And it was my heart crying out, God, give me grace to raise these kids. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. Amen to that. (laughs) And his grace showed up so enormously. Mm -hmm. I still marvel because I've apologized to my kids for things. They, they know my book. They know what I do. You know, we have a, a close relationship. And I did, you know, I didn't do everything perfect. No yeah, parent does, exactly. but things that I know that I would do differently now. And we've mm-hmm. talked about things and it's, but they're so much better than they would have been if the grace wouldn't have been there. It's like, I could have messed them up so bad. <laughs> well, and that, the healing of you being honest about failures is probably one of the big, biggest gifts we can give our kids, not being mm-hmm. perfect. That is not mm-hmm. a gift to our kids. It sets an impossible standard because it's fake. Mm-hmm. There's no, cause no one is. But to be teachable, to be seek forgiveness, to admit I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. that's more transforming to our kids, even at an older age, even when they're older, it's, they need to see that they can make mistakes too. Yeah. I was, uh, I don't know how old my kids were when I had to learn to make mistakes. I wrote about that in my first book. God, actually, I had a hard time with mistakes because I thought every time I made a mistake, I was going to hell. So... (laughs) Oh gosh. And so I was at this retreat one weekend Mm -hmm. and the Holy spirit spoke to my heart and he said, I'm going to teach you how to make mistakes. I freaked out. (laughs) I, I I, I thought he was going to say, he's going to, you know, I translated it with my trauma response of he's going to teach me how to sin. That can't be God talking to me. Oh gosh. Oh no. (laughs) And he, he, he did, he, he took me through and had to teach me, you know, how to make mistakes, how to deal with them, that it's okay, that it's not the end of the world. You're not going to die. And, and all the, you know, all the different ways. And I have met people, one particular person where she grew up being asked at the dinner table, what mistake have you made today? Because they were looking, or what have you failed at this week? Because failure was a good thing. It was a way to learn. Interesting. She was raised with failure was a good thing because it's how you learn. So what have you failed at today? And And it was met with redemption there in that moment, not condemnation. Oh, no condemnation at all. Yeah. It's like, this is some, this is a, a learning moment. 
Yes. And I'm like, wow, what a transformative <laughs> way to be raised. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just amazing. Goodness. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing to think about what we actually can endure. That's horrifying. But if, as you said, if you, I believe everyone is traumatized, has trauma. Uh, what I tell my counseling classes, my trauma class, I teach at a university and I, I tell them, if, if you don't know what your traumas are, I'll help you find them. Because <laughs> you all have, because too many of you are minimizing what happened to you as not that big a deal. Because it's not the big trauma, the big T traumas. Um, and so your, your little thing actually might hurt you more than someone's big one. And the more you understand your story, the narrative of your story, you start realizing Yes, I have been through stuff that shaped me. What am I going to do with that? How am I going to lean into that? How am I going to not fight, flight, freeze from it? How am I going to actually grow, mature? Mm -hmm. And that's being disciple. That's discipleship. That's growing mm -hmm. in your faith, growing in your trust in Christ. You're growing in community. So who you put around you, because we all have it. We all have, we all are basically failures. Thus the cross <laughs> that we're not true. <laughs> human there there is no yeah. perfect <laughs> yeah. and that's go at same for parents every parent fails if you think you're not mm -hmm. failing you're that's part of your problem because you're full of yourself <laughs> like you, you fail so how are you showing grace how are you showing um that hope of not 100 has to be perfect that's why it makes me sad when i think of kids and the way they tend to equate their identity with um the, the letter grade my who i am is or their sport scores or it's always some performance based well society is based on performance everywhere you go and yes so it's something you have to intentionally learn well it's is... interesting like my kids are homeschooled and they have never seen a grade before and so it was neat it's like okay we're, we're, we're not dealing with that that's great all of a sudden, my oldest starts taking a college class and submitting papers to a professor at a university. He's in 10th grade. And his first grade back is like an 80. And he's like, oh, it's horrible. And he's just already condemning himself. It's like, wow, how did that just naturally come to self-condemnation? And I'm horrible. It's like you're a 10th grader taking a college level class. Dude, an 80 is incredible. <laughs> like, yes. Wow. But well, that's where you get to help him redirect his focus correct. because I mean, he's a 10th grader in college, but he's still not fully formed. He exactly. looks probably fully formed, but his brain is not fully formed, and right. they have a hard time thinking they're not fully formed at that age, right? Because you know, oh. they, they look, I look in the mirror, I'm not fully formed, right? Yeah, <laughs> but no, the brain is not, and they, mm -hmm. they need you to help them redirect that so they can take that into their adult life. Well, it's amazing though that like there was this automatic having not even known grades, imagine when you've been from first grade on the grades that you've had have actually been your identity. And then you get to 10th grade and then it's so entrenched in you. Mm -hmm. Like that's a sad thing. Yeah. Well, there are certain cultures, certain families where they, the shame honor culture families that put so much pressure on grades and things like that. I have so interviewed true. some people who have suffered from that. They, they have to go in this little lane here. And if you veer one way or another, it's like you're 
in, at the danger of losing connection with your family. And yeah. that's, I, I don't even have a word for how painful that could be. You know, well, it's danger, like the, danger, you're not going to be in the family. It's like the founder of, um, we call it um, uh, T-ball, turn it into Little League. He says his biggest mistake in life was ever creating Little League because it turned what was supposed to be fun and enjoyable into something so uh, rigid and every single day and parents yelling and acting like they're four years old and it turned something fun into something so performance. It lost its joy. It lost its beauty. There's something about kids going out and just playing in the, you know, the park across the street together and it got rid of that turned it into something too rigid and that's i grew up in south america where there's only one sport it's soccer you play it all the time and then i came to the united states and was like every all these different sports and they're all basically worship centers like every single one is when you do this this is your identity i'm like that uh, that worries me that really really worries me yeah yeah you'd mentioned about taking the childhood into our adulthood early when you're talking about your classes with your people. And I was thinking people think that maybe just your negative things from your childhood you carry in, but you also carry the positive things. And I want to touch on that because it's not all negative, right? Everything from your childhood, everything from your childhood, unless you have specifically addressed it, done something to it, to change it, Everything from your childhood is reflected in your adult life, good and bad. It's like for people to see that, it's like, that's, that's not a weird thing. That's a progressive thing. Mm-hmm. And so when you have negative side effects in your life from trauma, that's, what, that's how you can identify if you have something you need to address. If you look for, are you passive aggressive? Do yep. you have trouble staying in relationships. How many times have you been divorced maybe? And things of this nature, things that are repetitive, codependency and Mm -hmm. all different side effects, I call them. I have an assessment that I have people that can go through to see just how much is your childhood affecting your adult life in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can see that. And it's like, well, then you, do you want to do something about it? When you find the end, do you want to do something about it? Or do you want to just stay right where you are? Because it will be painful to deal with things and how much pain depends on how much you got to deal with, how deep it is or whatever, mm-hmm. but staying where you're at, it's going to be painful too. Correct. It's going to be a different kind of pain. And if you have something that really, I mean, it's festered, you keep mm-hmm. pushing it down. It, it goes sepsis after a while exactly. and trauma yeah. actually, it's called a cause of causes. Mm-hmm. It kills people. And that can be kind of hard for people to hear. Trauma kills people. Correct. I believe it's actually the root cause of many, if not most, mental health issues and even physical health issues. Yeah. I think heart, it's heart the, issues, digestive mm-hmm. issues, Correct. cancers. Correct. Those three things can be um, connected to, to traumas. Correct. And I mean, I'm not saying everyone who has those things has trauma. That's not, that's not an automatic. Okay. Right. You have cancer, you have right. trauma. That's not it. Right. But if you had trauma, it could cause that Correct. if you don't deal with it and it affects different parts of the body because 
the body keeps the score. There's a book out there. The body Love keeps the one. score. And it does. There's a gentleman, uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson. He has a podcast on trauma. Also, he just did an episode not too long ago about trauma in the body mm-hmm. because it's in the body and how the body notices it first. Correct. And holds <laughs> it. And holds the it, other holds parts it, of the, it. I mean, that's amazing to think yep. of that. We don't think that we think our body is secondary. No, the body right. is the one who gets it first. It's like, that is yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> These things God created, these bodies are just amazing. I think yeah. they're amazing. I love watching babies discover their hands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. That's why it's important to work on all those different parts of ourselves. And that mm-hmm. if you think of that, again, that word discipleship, which is one of my favorite words instead of counseling even or coaching mm-hmm. is it's we're on a journey and we need to spend the, the time, effort, work to know myself. How do I know myself? I can sit in my own room and talk to myself all I want. I'm not going to get anywhere. Actually, it becomes an interaction with others. So like your husband and then a counselor, even your own kids reveal parts of us are like, Ooh, that wasn't very pretty. What just came out of me. I've got some work to do, but all people, all others end up being these mirrors that help us see. But if I'm not willing to see, or don't want to see, you know, refuse to see, then I actually mm-hmm. don't have the chance to have that hope, to have that freedom, to find myself, to learn, to grow, to mature. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, I would say mo- the most, most people sit there in a pew at church and they're stuck. Mm-hmm. They're just living their life. They're doing their job. They're just existing. Why? Because I believe a person who's actually done this work is doing what you're doing. They cannot not share it with others they cannot not go into other people's muck mm-hmm. like i've been working with trauma you know for 20 some years and why can't why do i do this when it actually makes me sick it actually hurts my body i have other health issues and by going into other people's stuff it actually physically hurts me why mm-hmm. because i can't i cannot not do it i have to do it because I see the hope and I see where they're at and I see where they can go. And it's like, Oh, if only you had that taste, only if you knew you have to, you must, and you can't make them, you have to wait for them patiently. Mm-hmm. And it could be five, 10 years, 20 years, but to see that when you see, when you're seen, when you feel valued, when you feel um, heard, it opens mm-hmm. up a whole new world of beauty and right. of, of maturity and that's what I see you doing, your, your different programs, your, what your desire to see the church impacted by this, the books you've written, your website, which is a Danielle, Danielle And we'll have that in the show notes and mention it later too. But your, your heart is to change the world. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, we need more people like you that are doing that. The sad thing is, is more often than not, they came from some pretty rough harm. Yeah. And there's so many obstacles to overcome in different ways of wording that needs to be overcome as well. Like Christianese pushes a lot of people away. I work very hard at not using it. Sometimes I fall into it because at the beginning of my coming back to the Lord, it was all King James because King James was the only one that was right, which is (laughs) not true. (laughs) I agree. I've learned a lot since then. It's been 42 yes. years. I've learned something. <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope so. Yes. <laughs> but, oh, I forgot what I was going to say, but there comes that train. I talk about that too. 
people freak out when they lose their train of thought, especially mm-hmm. when they get older, they start mm-hmm. freaking out when they lose their train of thought because they think they're losing their mind. Everybody loses their train of thought. Correct. And I learned this from a friend of mine and I told her, I, I'm, I'm sharing it. I told her, I said, yep. you helped me with this years ago. When you lose your train of thought, the first thing people generally do is they freak out, they tense up mm-hmm. and they feel embarrassed and shame. And then they cannot remember. Of course. But not. if instead you respond with the train will come around again, you imagine it like a train on a track, mm-hmm. you relax, you go, it'll come around again. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes it comes back right then. And if not a few moments later, because that yeah. tensing up of, up of your emotions prohibits that memory from coming back. But if you relax, mm-hmm. you make way for it to come around on the track again. Well, it's that physiological thing. It's the physical body. The mm-hmm. idea that you said earlier, of the body remembers mm-hmm. the way our body responds actually locks us up or opens us up. Mm-hmm. And so that immediate, like you think of our, these young people today seem to all have anxiety. And it's like, why? Because they have a very unhealthy relationship with anxiety. You're not meant to be anxiety less, like none, because that's not being human. You're meant mm-hmm. to have something come into your body and your system and manage it. So mm-hmm. like they are anxious because they have to present in class. It's like, of course you are. You're in front of the class. And even more <laughs> so because you didn't prepare. So you better have more anxiety. So it's like anxiety is there for a reason. It's, it's data. You're misinterpreting the data. Right. When you when you interpret it correctly, you're actually, your body doesn't respond in the way it used to panic attacks don't happen. And you can start teaching your body to respond different Mm -hmm. when you learn what's going on. But for a lot of us, we don't want to learn what's going on, refuse to learn what's going on or feel like we can't like it's too Mm -hmm. much. And so you're from what I've seen of your programs, even that's the goal is to help people see, to help people be introspective, but also, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want for me? Where do you see me serving, working? Um, that's that's a beautiful call. And I, I think about, if you think of where a person is sitting with trauma and they're sitting in it and you're calling them out, you're calling them to something greater and they're like, no, 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 no I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's like, why do they stay there? It's familiar. Exactly, exactly, exactly. They stick to what's familiar. Because the other thing is unknown and unknown causes ah, anxiety. Exactly. It's just a natural side effect to the unknown is anxiety. Like you said, it is a normal thing. Dr. Caroline Leaf says that in her book, clean up your mental mess. Love her. She talks about anxiety and depression are not sicknesses. Correct. They are a normal response. Yes. There are people who have issues with that are deeper than just Mm -hmm. that. There are yep. people who have chemical things. And so we're not talking about that, but not all depression and all anxiety is bad. Like yep. you said, some of it, it belongs there. I mean, exactly. if you just went through someone died in your life, depression is kind of like a side effect of grief, it's but part of how it. long you are going to live there, or are you going to process it? You right. have to process it and then you can turn it into something else. If you will do grief work, mm-hmm. you can process it and turn it into something beautiful. You can turn your pain into purpose. Yep. And that's the thing is a lot of people don't do that many because they don't know how, mm-hmm. but often it's, they, I don't, 
that unknown. I don't know what's outside of this. So at least this is something I can control because that's what it comes down to. At least yeah. in my depression, I feel like I'm in control. It's like, you're not, but they believe just, they are. Same for alcohol, same for a drug, same for, you know, bad behaviors. It's like, well, at least I'm in charge of this. I know you are. And it's not a great story. <laughs> I'm inviting you into a better story. The problem with that invitation is, as you said, the unknown, which produces more anxiety. Um, yeah, we use the word depression, anxiety, like it's nothing, like it's normal. And it actually is, but it's become clinical. And then the normal, we need separate words almost for these. Yeah. Because when we say depression, we tend to be talking for, like, I got the, I've got the blues versus mm -hmm. I have clinical depression that needs. Right. Sometimes you know. terminology matters and sometimes we get tripped up on it. Correct. Like I was saying before, which that training came around again, Yay. the <laughs> words, uh, like I was talking about Christianese and mm -hmm. trying to talk different ways and even not just Christianese, but trauma informed and knowing who you're talking to and to know how you need to change how you talk. Mm -hmm. Because people who have daddy issues is how it's commonly termed, but I grew up fatherless part of the time because my dad died when I was young and mm -hmm. I was there for it and it was awful. That was one mm -hmm. of them. But some people have terrible fathers. Mm -hmm. And I remember a story of one evangelist of some sort, doesn't matter who it was, talking to some person about God, you know, telling him about God. Well, do you say, and he says, you, God is like, like a father. And he's like, yes. He goes, well, I, my father was awful. I want nothing to do with him. Yeah. And that's a big problem. Because we have to unveil the father. Jesus came to unveil the father. And if you didn't have a good father, it's hard to imagine a father that's good. Because you are so inundated with that negative imagery mm -hmm. and feelings in your body even. Right. That owning the truth that God is a father and he's good is hard. It takes a long time. It took like I said, 34 years for God to convince me that he loved me because my core trauma was the one that happened in front of the church where I was publicly rejected. And he told me when he gently and graciously ushered me to that moment, that's how mm -hmm. I wrote about it in I my book. I, I imagine myself like a little kid and like was holding my hand mm -hmm. and just slowly walking to this mm -hmm. place. Nice. That there was an inversion of a lie that took place in my soul. There's a scripture that says that everyone that comes to Jesus, he will in no wise cast out. I don't know if they read that. I don't know if I even knew that Bible verse then. But what happened in my soul, the Lord showed me, was I believed the opposite of that. I believed that I came to Jesus and Jesus himself threw me out. Yeah. And so if God doesn't want you, nobody wants you. So I, the rest of my life, I expected rejection everywhere. And I found it because I was looking for it. Yep. Yep. But I didn't know that. I was a child. I didn't know that was happening until I was much older. Yep. And But you could be healed of it. And that's the thing we really need to convey is hope. No matter what you're suffering from, there's hope. Mm -hmm. And even if I don't know the answer, like I can't help everybody because I don't know everything. Well, because we're not can, supposed to necessarily help them. We're pointing in a direction and the Holy Spirit is doing the work. Mm-hmm. And being able well, to everybody's work. doing work, you know, the Holy Spirit does inside, they have to do the work, yep. you know, because it's not like magical. Work. That's the thing in the church that can get people into trouble. Oh, yep. the Holy Spirit's doing the work. So I just show up on Sunday, just magically changes me. No, nope, you have us. to be a willing participant. Yes. 
Exactly. You know, and I, and I like to be a willing participant to help. So it's like, it's, it's the work of all three working together that mm-hmm. brings about the healing, brings about the change. You know, God mm-hmm. doesn't ever cadaver you. You don't say the sinner's prayer and everything's fine. Right. Where some people portray the gospel that way, that simply, that superficially, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's a lie. <laughs> Yep. It's a lie. You don't just say a prayer and everything's perfect. Everyone's got baggage and you got to deal with that. And God doesn't take, doesn't care how long it takes. He's there with you for the long haul. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking of the God, the father too, his it's, he's meant to redeem that mm-hmm. by it, by that imagery. I, I don't think it's even a, a, a mistake, obviously in the imagery. So to being able to bring a person to that point is a very long process often thinking of years and years of sitting in church and listening even, but also for mm-hmm. so many who have rejected completely and left the language, as you said, matters to help them navigate their hurts, their harms, mm-hmm. and oftentimes identify them. As you said, right in the beginning, I had to call what happened, the truth harm, like to tell the truth is where a lot of this starts. And a lot of where we see people hung up is they're not telling themselves the truth. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Like that song, truth be told. I don't know if you're familiar with it. There's a new Christian song. I don't know how new, but it's called truth be told. And it's talking about people saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And it's clearly, I'm not fine. And it's a really, it's a good song and the church needs it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The truth. And the thing is with, when we're putting things through our brain, through our prefrontal cortex, which isn't developed till, you know, mid twenties, it's when I'm doing that, I'm actually putting it through a filter, which we need to be putting it through a filter of true or false. Mm-hmm. How much do I believe it's actually false? Which means I'm partnering with Satan, literally. I'm, I'm partnering with the, the father of lies. What is true? And I'll, there's a lot of stuff I would say that I've believed that I believe to be true, that I had to, in relationship with others, them identify as that's not true. That's part of the, the body of Christ and the iron sharpens iron and being in relationship and marriage and a, a partner that sees me, hears me, gets me, but also challenges me. And a lot of these pieces are God's design for healing, for, for wholeness and mm-hmm. for maturity. So that's, oh, I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Yeah, I've done oh. a couple episodes on my podcast about mm-hmm. deconstruction because that's a word out there about deconstruction. Right. Some people... So people think it's bad all the time. And I don't think so. So I did one podcast on is deconstruction bad? Mm-hmm. And or one is it, what does it actually mean? And another one is, is it good or bad? Mm-hmm. I d- discovered through studying it that I had done that. I didn't mm-hmm. use that term in my book. I used the book, the term digested. I said, I digested my childhood and digested yeah. <laughs> you know, my beliefs. Mm-hmm. But decon- deconstruction is just taking something apart to look at it. I mean, kids do that. They take part toys. They take it. How does this work? There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But in the one where I said, where it's good or bad, where you get into trouble is what are you looking for? Right. And I think there's the double-edged sword with that. The deconstruction movement Mm -hmm. is horrific, I think, because it's not been about growing and maturing and discovering. It's been about basically this deep seated anger and hatred that only grows actually. And so I know a number of people who have gone through that and they may, may, may even align with 
I don't know the movement, whatever, but I know yeah. it's out there. Yeah. What I find is people who stay with the faith or don't stay with the faith, mm-hmm. I think it boils down to that scripture in Thessalonians, it says that they received not a love for the truth. Mm-hmm. When I was deconstructing my life, I was looking for the truth. And you were just talking about truth and lies. I didn't know what the truth was. So I didn't know even how to look for it. But right. I believe that anyone who wants to deconstruct their childhood, deconstruct their faith, yeah. and they want the truth, God will take you there. Mm-hmm. He will take you there. But I think no that's the difference. Takes, he will take you there. I think that's the difference, though. The people that are deconstructing to out of anger and hopelessness breed more anger and more hopelessness. So you actually will see it in their life that they don't get better or healthier or stronger or even more at peace. And you can see it in their face. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're yelling and screaming and foaming at the mouth mad. And it's like, I don't know any of those. I do. And it's like others, it's like, wow, you have found a peace inside of you. That is just beautiful. There's something different about you. There's, there's a presence about you. There's something that's glowing about you. That's where that deconstruction has actually turned into something beautiful. They've come to come to know They've come to be aware, and oftentimes for the first time, that true, they, true Many faith. people have, they've been subjected to toxic religion, to authoritarianism that's controlling. Correct. You have so to earn true. your salvation. Oh. They, you know, grace is not really a thing except for a five-letter word they like to use. And there is so much toxic religion out there. And I, yep. I celebrate those who will deconstruct that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> deconstruct that and find the true grace and love of God because... Jesus paid a high price for us to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, tell me a little bit about your different things you do. So what, tell me more about what you're doing right now in your work and in your life. Well, um, I have developed workshops. Mm-hmm. I uh, did one particular one online during the pandemic called calming your fear, calming your fearful self. I created a process called self. It's the acronym S E L F, which stands for C expose love and free. And you go through that repetitively layer by layer to get to, you know, the core of what you need to deal with. I have workshops. I have more than that one. Now I've developed more and I'm working on um, taking those into the church. I've started talks with my um, personal pastor and I'm going to be meeting with his staff to move forward with that. I have my books. I have courses that I've developed. I have a short little seven day course called seven day challenge to love yourself, which helps people to identify why don't you love yourself and to start loving yourself to change that mentality. Because we, we get upset with ourselves that we don't love ourselves. So you need to find out why there's a reason why babies are born loving themselves. They don't wake up. self. I mean, they don't, they're not born self harming. Yeah, so true. <laughs> There's a reason. So that that little short little seven day challenge, I have that on my website. I have nice. a course that I've developed with my book, Emerging with Wings, Heal Your Childhood Self. It mm. takes you through the process that I went through that you can do it all by yourself. Or I also, you can partner with me with, for coaching to do that. So you don't have to go through it all by yourself. Nice. You can do it in a slow, methodical way if you want to do that, or you can do it all in one day. Some people are impatient, so I have it <laughs> available for them. And Heal Your Adult Self with Because Your Matter book of reclaiming your life from what tried to destroy it, whether it was trauma as an adult or just difficulties or toxic mm-hmm. religion, like I had mentioned. And I also have a uh, 30-day book club that goes with a book called Unhackable, where I help people to 
embrace our God-given greatness. What do you dream? What is your dream? What, what are you here for? And how to go and grab a hold of that without getting distracted because we live in a world full of distractions. The book is called Unhackable, what it's based on. I didn't write the book, but I partnered with the author of the book, oh, Carrie nice. Oberbrunner. And a cert, I'm a certified unhackable coach for that nice. to help people find out what they, they want to accomplish. And what did God give you to do? I talk on my website about finding and embracing your God-given greatness. And that doesn't have to be huge, like you're traveling around the world. I'm careful to say that because some people are like, hey, I don't, I, I, I. they yeah. start freaking out. No stages, about, no stages. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Uh, I lost a friend of mine last year um, who was very dear to me. And I like to refer to her as her God given greatness. I like to give her as hugs. She gave a hug that could make your whole world around you melt away. And you just felt the safety and the love like oh, nothing love. else. That's love. a greatness. I like to bring that up because that's not anything that's like a public humongous thing. Right. So I want to pause here to you who are listening. Your God-given greatness doesn't have to be scary. Right. God put it in you. And once you see it, you will love it and you will want it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the things I do. I also can offer a course that goes into it deeper for that. Mm -hmm. I do speaking. I do coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching mm -hmm. also to help people go from dysfunctional to fantastic, you know, because I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I am not a therapist. I am a coach. So I'm careful to say that too. Yep. So if you need a counselor, get a counselor, not me. <laughs> so that's why you have to be functional to start with me. <laughs> yeah. And you have a podcast as well. Oh, and the podcast. Yes. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm loving my podcast. I just started it last year nice. in 2021. I had 200 episodes in my first year. Um, awesome. And I started doing interviews. I do interviews like you're doing here. Oh. I, most of my episodes are short. I keep them, you know, five, 10 minutes. There might be a couple that might be 15. Those mm -hmm. are few and far between because I stayed away from podcasts myself because they were too long. Yep. So I studied podcasts to see the different formats before I started mine. So I have the, most of them are like 10 minutes long and I have an intro and outro. So if you listen to that, you could skip that. And then it's only like five minutes long and you can <laughs> listen to them on the way to the grocery store mm -hmm. and just get some encouragement in that. And everything I do is recorded live because I want people to get the genuineness, the vulnerability mm -hmm. I don't edit the things out when I screw up, make my mistakes. Yep. You hear that. Exactly. <laughs> yep. And good. I don't edit them out because everyone makes mistakes and people can relate to me more when they see I'm not perfect. See, yep. I just screwed that up. I forgot that thing. Oh, I, I said <laughs> this the wrong way. Oh my goodness. What was I going to say here? Oh, what? And that's all in there. And I love doing the interviews. I just enjoy doing interviews. I could do them all day long because you learn so much from talking to other people and what they have been through. So many different things to share. So many th different things we can learn from one another just by sharing our stories with one another. I'm with you on that one. Love it. Yep. Love it. Love it. Well, it's been so great talking to you and getting to know you a little bit. And um, and people this can is, find you. Yeah, your website is daniellebernock.com. We'll have the link in the show notes. And um, yes, that's you've got such a joy and such a peace about yourself, even in the midst of life and craziness and difficulties of your own family. And I know because I know that's the world we live in, um, but right. our hope is in Christ, which is so beautiful. 
Amen. Yeah, he will carry us through. We will have we will have downtimes. We will have moments. We will have days where they're bad, but he will help us pick ourselves up. Last week, I was struggling a lot because we have a lot of things going on in our family. Yes. But I had a business workshop to go to last weekend. So I got to go out of town mm-hmm. and do that and be, surround myself with my people. Mm-hmm. And I got what I needed. And Lord helped me stand back up, filled yep. me up, mm-hmm. dealt with the things that were bothering me. But I was, I owned the truth. I even did a podcast on it. I'm struggling nice. because everyone oh. struggles. But then what am I doing with that struggle? You know, because then, because yeah. everyone struggles. So I shared on that. This is what I'm doing in the middle of my struggle. If you're struggling, you try it. Love it. Oh, I love it. Love it. Well, Danielle, so great to talk with you. So great to meet you and love what you're doing. We need more of what you're doing in the church. So please keep pushing for, you know, to get into more churches. That really, really needs to be done. So thank you so much for being on my show. I've enjoyed this so much. Thank you so much. All right. Bless you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Family Features Podcast. It has been an honor to serve. Find out more about Dr. Gilbert and his resources for you and your family's growth and success at HealingLives.com. And if you think you could use some support along the way, be sure to book that call at BookDrG.com. And one more thing, if you found this helpful, please share this podcast with others so that we can change the world.